If you like what you hear, come and visit me at youtube.com slash tiptoe the tank and see this content in all its glory. We've spoken of Corvo, of Jessamine, of Emily, but we're not done with these three, Dowd, Billy Lurk, and The Outsider. Let's finish the story properly, and to do that, we need to go back. Before even The Outsider came to be, there was another deity of the void, perhaps more than one. Who can say? But we have the remnants of one, called the Eye of the Dead God, on the Isle of Circanos. And it's beautiful, isn't it? Oh, to know the tales of this being. But we can't dawdle, as there are other stories to tell. After the death of this god over 4,000 years ago, a group found this Eye of the Dead God on the Isle of Circanos. In these mountains, the space between the void and the real world was thin, at some points completely intersecting, allowing for the void to seep through. Interacting with the Eye of the Dead God opened their minds and it opened their eyes to deeper secrets previously unperceived in the world. It allowed them to find the void a gate to the void in which humans could physically exist. Though, I remember what happened to Aramis Stilton when he looked into the void. He quite lost his mind, if memory serves. Because of this gift of supernatural vision, the cult called themselves the Envisioned, and they became agents of the void. Through a prophecy told in the stars, it was determined that a sacrifice was needed. These ancient people abducted a 15-year-old boy and took him into the void, to a place within called Ritual Hold. We do not know his name, but we know his mark. We know who he became. A weapon of the void called the Twin-Bladed Knife was used to cut the young man's throat. His body remained there in Ritual Hold, encased in stone, but he roamed freely as a new godlike being of the void, the outsider. Neither good nor evil, just curious, selective. Not a liar or a fiend, but oh, he will play word games and let those few who bear his mark roam unchecked. Only in the most tense of situations will he guide along events and bring his favorites to choices and crossroads. The cult, the envisioned, they continued to serve the void to serve the outsider. They would guard ritual hold so that his body would remain unharmed there. The blade, that twin-bladed knife, could undo their new god. It could kill his physical body, and during the sacrifice, the boy's name was torn away from him. Only the dead can read it now. The envisioned cultists who stayed close to the void began to physically change. Their flesh became stone of the void, a reward for their diligence and their loyalty. Those that did transform still walk the quarry around the gate into ritual hold, safeguarding it. The cult, called the Envisioned, changed. Now these golems carry that name, the Envisioned. Fearsome enemies for those that would intrude upon the outsider's resting place. For nearly 4,000 years, the Envisioned and the Eye of the Dead God were hidden away within the mountain. The outsider carried on with his games of curiosity and intrigue. The world developed, the people changed, governments were established, places of religion and sciences founded, emperors and empresses came and went, wars took place with much and little fanfare. Near the dawn of this world's 19th century, Dowd was born. A few years later, Corvo Atano. A few years later, Delilah Copperspoon, then Jessamine Caldwin. A decade passed and then came the birth of Billy Lurk. Stories already told that won't be relived here. Instead, let's talk about a man of grave importance to this tale. A man who was largely left to walk in the shadows of Corvo Atano during his exploits and his journeys. A man whose name that I cannot seem to say correctly. 
Dowd, the knife of Dunwall. Dowd was born in Cercanos, but even the circumstances of his birth are whispers of the dark. His mother was supposedly a witch from Pandesia, who was kidnapped and taken prisoner on a pirate ship. Dowd was the product of the imprisonment. Yet his mother did not submit to this fate. If you believe the tales, she was an agent of the outsider bearing his mark. She killed many aboard the ship and took it for herself. Dowd spent his childhood traveling about the isle from town to town. Even at a young age, he was quick-handed and smart-witted, unnatural with a weapon. This was noticed, and Dowd was taken from his mother, abducted, really. And from there, he fades back into fable. But as a teenager, Dowd was known to have landed in Dunwall, where he moved unseen through shopkeeps and the city watch, like a reaper through wheat. As Dowd grew into a young man, he honed his skills as a thief and began to study anatomy. Then, he began to study the occult. Around the aisles, he searched out altars of the void of the outsider, never quite knowing exactly what it was that he was searching for. Dowd spent a season studying at the Academy of Natural Philosophy. He even spent time counting the Brigmore witches as allies, if you can believe that. In his mid-twenties, Dowd found what he had been searching for. The outsider himself appeared to the blossoming rogue. Dowd took the mark of the outsider, elevating himself from a force to be reckoned with to a nigh-unstoppable assassin. Dowd became a killer for hire. His services were highly sought by those in power. With the mark of the outsider, Dowd could flash through the air, bend time and space to his will, and peer through the void to find secrets and targets. Dowd began to collect followers, fellow assassins that, through his mark, he could empower with the lesser abilities that made them to fearsome killers. Eventually, the gang Dowd built up became known as the Wailers. Dowd recruited and trained them himself. And about a decade after Dowd received his mark from the outsider, a young woman very suddenly came to Dowd's attention. We've talked a bit about Billy Lurk before. She's the daughter of an islander from Pandesia, a foreigner of Crystal. Billy grew up in Dunwall in a hostile home. Her mother took to the drink. Billy was beaten and uncared for, so she developed skills to provide for herself. Namely, she became quite a thief at a very young age. She abandoned her mother quite young and began to roam the aisles with a small group of youths who were trying to get in with an established gang to avoid sex work and hard labor to make their coin. Thievery and murder were her trades. As a teen, Billy fell in love with another of the group, a young woman named Deirdre. The two were thick as thieves, and it was the first time that Billy had experienced love in her life. So, when Deirdre was killed in the streets by the son of the Duke of Sircanos, Billy in turn murdered the royal bastard. It was all a chance encounter. The Duke of Sircanos was visiting Dunwall with his sons, and the killing of Deirdre was probably an accident stemming from a cruel display of privilege but Billy was forced underground after the murder. She was actively hunted by the Dunwall City Guard. Even troops from Circanos traveled to Dunwall to search her out. All of her old thieving pals and all the groups that she came in contact with in the underground rejected her. Her crime was too public. Her face was known around the city. Even after months of eluding the city guard, the chase was not abandoned. It was really only a matter of time before Billy Lurk was caught and punished for the murder of the Duke's son. But one fateful morning, as Billy lurked about the still dark streets of Dunwall, she saw an assassination take place, three actually, at once, by one man, Dowd. Young Billy Lurk witnessed Dowd take down three dirty city watchmen who were running a murder racket. Dowd killed them so quickly that she didn't even see his blade come out. 
and it was quiet, too. Dowd took off from the scene and Billy gave chase. She kept up with him, too, or at least Dowd let her keep up. Across Dunwall, she followed Dowd into his territory, into a seemingly abandoned building full of weapons and practice dummies. Here, Dowd confronted the young Billy, observed her reaction to him and his words. Seemed there was some potential within Billy Lurk. You think you're already dead inside, but I'll give you something to live for. You'll fight for me and kill people like the ones who have hurt you. Billy Lurk joined the Wailers, eventually playing a part in the assassination of Jessamine Caldwin and betraying Dowd to Delilah Copperspoon. Stories that we've already tracked. But Billy's departure from the Wailers was not the last time that the two would meet. Some 15 years later, after Emily Caldwin returned to the throne after Delilah Copperspoon's coup, Billy Lurk would deem it time to search for Dowd. To her, the old man is family. Other things were happening in this world, while an empress assassination and power struggles were taking place. Very important things, actually. Remember the Eye of the Dead God, the envisioned, that mountain. All of this was taking place on the Isle of Circanos, near the great city of Karnaka. Well, silver was discovered in that mountain, quite near where the envisioned roamed protecting the gate into ritual hold. A mining quarry was built in that mountain called the Shindari North Quarry, so-called because of the name of the peak of the mountain, the Shindari Peak. There was a mining rush at the Shindari Quarry. An entire complex and a small town was built to accommodate this new venture. For perhaps a decade, there was a mining boom. But some very unusual things began to occur that eventually turned quite insidious. Reality would crack open, the void seeping out. Miners and workers began to hallucinate strange things. Suffocations began. They suffered headaches, nausea, and memory loss. Then, entire sections of the mine seemed to disappear into thin air, only to reappear some minutes later. Workers went missing, structures went missing, and people freaked out. Eventually, the disappearances would last for days at a time. The air became poisonous in some areas of the tunnels, and the Shindari Mining Company refused to acknowledge the claims. Eventually, the entire Shindari Quarry was abandoned. It was completely forgotten in the minds of the people of Sarkanos and in public records. But while the common man forgot about the quarry and the Shindari Peak, another group moved in. Those who were quite interested in the power of the Void. The Cult of the Outsider. You see, after the madness had overtaken the quarry and the workers abandoned the mountains, one remained, a woman. She walked in the abandoned streets and tunnels alone, half mad with loneliness. She stumbled upon the eye of the dead god. She said she felt called to it. And the woman touched the eye, and like the envisioned of ancient times, her mind was open to the void and the mysteries of the mountain. This was the foundation of the cult of the outsider, the birth of something new, yet familiar from those ancient times. The cult of the outsider remained elusive, their base in the mountain, an almost mythic secret, even from those who would seek it out. Though they didn't hide away from the world entirely, the cult of the outsider kept a close watch on the outside world. They kept records and accumulated knowledge. They watched for promising recruits to bring into the mountain. The recruits would be expected to leave their former life behind. Their social status did not matter. Failing to leave their old ways behind was a death sentence in the hills. To walk near the void, to become one of the envisioned, was considered an ascension. A goal to be achieved. The cultists who observed the golem-like envisioned around the quarry did so with wonder. Though if the cultists drew too close to the gate to ritual hold, 
the Envisioned would brutally attack them. The Envisioned never wavered in their guard. They were unspeaking and uncaring to those around them. They tolerated, perhaps even accepted, the presence of the Cult of the Outsider, but they would not suffer them to draw near the gate to Ritual Hold. By the year of Delilah's attack on Empress Emily Caldwin, the Cult of the Outsider was secretly quite powerful. They brought under their control a well-established criminal gang within Karnaka called the Eyeless. And also by this time, another figure reappeared, returning from self-imposed exile. Dowd was back in Dunwall. Fifteen years after he murdered Jessamine Caldwin, just as Delilah was beginning her assault on the throne of Emily Caldwin, Dowd returned to the city. For years, he traveled around the Isles, searching for a way to free himself from the outsider. But cult after cult, he'd found nothing but dead ends. Horrid nightmares had begun to plague Dowd, nightmares that he hadn't experienced for several years. The chaos of the outsider was stirring again. That woman, Delilah Copperspin, was back, and suffering will begin anew because of it. Dowd still carries the guilt of his actions. He places blame upon the outsider for enabling people like himself and Delilah. It's a vicious cycle that will just repeat over and over. And if he can't free himself from the outsider, then what should the solution be? Well, of course, kill the dark-eyed bastard. Dowd knew of the twin-bladed knife, a weapon that could be used to kill the god of the void. He'd kept his ears open to the mention of it as his travels carried on. And now, as new chaos was beginning at the hands of Delilah Copperspoon, Dowd heard tell of it having last been spotted in the city of Dunwall. He arrives as the attack on the throne begins, as Emily Caldwin, or Corvo Atano, travels about Dunwall and Karnaka to undo the treachery of Delilah Copperspoon. Dowd has ventures of his own, eventually leading him to the Isle of Serkanos, to the city of Karnaka. The Islas have taken custody of the Blade, and by now, Delilah's old witch's coven at the Royal Conservatory have had their powers stripped away, and the inventor, Kiran Jindosh, is no longer of sound mind. Dowd was lured into an enemy safe house under the false pretense that the twin-bladed knife could be given to him there. Two witches, who still remain in the city, cast a spell over Dowd, locking his mind into a maze of itself. When Dowd awakens, Delilah Copperspoon is no longer in power, and he is a prisoner of the Eyeless. Or, well, kind of. You see, Dowd wakes up in the Albarca Baths, a place controlled by the Eyeless. The woman in charge of this building is Jeanette Lee, and Jeanette Lee decides to not turn Dowd over to the leaders of the Eyeless. Instead, she decides it'd be better to keep Dowd around, keep him controlled with a suppression field device that won't allow him to use his mark, and use Dowd as a fighter in an illegal fighting ring. And for months, it works. Dowd is undefeated. Dowd is a money-making machine for this underground fighting ring. Dowd is repeatedly subjected to vicious combat, confined to a chair subjected to a suppressive machine. He ages quickly, yet never gives up his fight. Damage is done to his body over and over, and he cannot escape this. Thankfully, Billy Lurk has begun her search for her old friend. Billy departed from Dunwall after the fall of Delilah on her ship, the Dreadful Whale. While in Karnaka some months back with either Emily or Corvo Atano, Billy had heard rumors of a fighting ring that used black magic and bone charms, someplace called the Albarca Baths. During the voyage to the Isle of Sarkanos, Billy had begun to dream of her arm being gone, her eye being gouged out, remnants of what she once was before Aramis Stilton was saved from participating in that void ritual some years ago. 
Because Aramis did not participate in the ritual, Billy never went searching for Aramis. Her arm and her eye were never cut off. Yet still, the pain of it lingers like a memory that she's never had. At the baths, there's eyeless everywhere. Now, while Corvo and Emily were beholden to a system of chaos, of consequences for their violent actions, Billy Lurk has no such ideology to be beholden to. Billy can kill or spare whoever she likes. Solutions bear weight. But no one is going to sit around judging Billy Lurk for killing a few eyeless along the way. Cheers. In this case, Billy Lurk quietly cuts her way through the building, searching out Jeanette Lee. The woman has a key on her belt to power up or down the suppressive machine that's containing Dowd. Billy needs it. Dowd can't even speak to her with that thing on. And if Billy didn't kill everything in the area before turning off the machine, then when Dowd is released, he will. And I can't say I blame the guy. He's had a hard six or so months, and he looks it too. The two are older and wiser now. There's no words of malice or blame thrown about. Dowd tells Billy exactly what he's trying to do, what he intends to do, and he recruits her into his mission to kill the outsider. He's not so broken down that he can't make it out of the baths by himself and back to the dreadful whale. But the old man does not move like he used to. Billy had often dreamed of what it would be like to meet the outsider, to be offered his mark, to be like Dowd, to have powers. But the outsider, he never appeared to Billy. Though she was a prime candidate to receive his mark, it was never made so. She thinks over Dowd's fate. She knows that he is in his final days. He has wounds that will never heal. Awakening from a dream, that reoccurring nightmare of her arm being hacked off and her eye gouged out, Billy finally comes face to face with the dark-eyed god. She's seen what Dowd became, his pain, his regrets. She doesn't dream of being one of the outsider's chosen ones anymore. Billy Lurk does not want his mark. She asks him what he wants, and this is quite unlike what people usually do in the presence of the outsider. They always want something from him. The outsider imposes upon Billy Lurk two things, the black shard arm and the sliver of the eye, both gifts from the void at the price of her arm and her eye. Billy can now move between special markers that she creates. She can see points around her where the void is leaking into reality, and she can take on the appearance of those she targets. Dowd immediately recognizes that Billy has been maimed by the outsider. She wasn't given a choice in the matter. But the outsider did not try to stop Billy Lurk, nor did he intervene upon Dowd. While he isn't acting neutral, the outsider isn't blockading the duo either. Dowd tells Billy that they need to find the twin-bladed knife, that it's in possession of the Eyeless here in Karnaka. The location of the blade would be known by the leaders of the Eyeless, but first they need to know who the head figures are. At the bathhouse where Dowd was kept, the Eyeless grunts would often talk about tattoos the members received at a place called the Red Camellia. Off Billy must go in Dowd's place. The old man is exhausted and returns to rest. There will be no more grand missions for the Great Assassin. Thankfully, the Red Camellia is shut down for deep cleaning, and the only person inside is Martina. And Billy wouldn't hurt old Martina, right? Oh, sweet lord, Billy. Bill Billy finds what she's looking for in the business's appointment book in the main office of the Red Camellia. Good god, poor Martina. She gets two names from the book, Sean Yun and Ivan Jacoby. Sean Yun is a famous opera singer and a head figure amongst the eyeless. The famed singer believes that he draws in crowds due to the power of fame and appearance alone, not because of his art. 
He seeks a form of rebirth through the void to be remade into a great artist, one with no known match. Within Sean Yun's home, Billy finds a personal safe with a bank vault key inside. Hmm, most interesting. And a note from Michael's bank stating that both Sean Yun and Ivan Jacoby have been issued keys to the same vault. Both are required to open the vault. Ivan Jacoby is a city administrator who's had a lifelong fascination with death, cemeteries, and crypts. When he was young, his father had wasted away much of the family's wealth, and his grandfather, refusing to give up on the last of the family's land, took to living in the family crypt when the young Ivan Jacoby's mother moved the family into an apartment. Ivan visited his grandfather often and was fascinated with the stories of the dead. He was naturally drawn to the macabre dark magics of the cult of the outsider to discover the secrets of death and the beyond. Ivan is not in his office. He is rehearsing for a speech at Calibron Plaza that day, speaking out against the practice of regraving. Very unlucky for Ivan is that this stage that he's practicing on has a trap door. Mm. Look at those kneecaps shatter. Ivan's office key is now on his unconscious body, and within his office, on his desk, is a bank vault key and another letter from Michael's bank, similar to the one in Sean Yoon's personal safe. Though this one is describing something that sounds suspiciously like it could be the twin-bladed knife. Billy has begun to enjoy the powers that her new eye and arm give her. It makes her feel powerful, like she did so long ago when she ran with the whalers, carrying out assassinations. On the deck of the dreadful whale, Dowd rests in a chair, looking weaker than ever. The old man really does not have much longer, and that is painfully clear. But still, Billy stays on task, talking to Dowd about the bank and different possible routes in. There's a number of ways to choose from, some easier than others. Dowd warns her that she'll also need the bank manager's key to open the lockbox, though Dowd is clearly struggling with something. And Billy asks him if she should stay with him but he declines. Dowd knows that he's nearly out of time, but sending Billy out to complete this task is more important to him than dying alone. She respects his decision. All she can do is be quick in her task, and she promises him that one way or another she will complete this mission. Before going to the bank, Billy makes a stop at a friendly local black market vendor to pick up a big old bottle of laudanum as per Dowd's recommendation. Climbing up to the bank's rooftop, Billy drops it down the vent system, dosing everyone inside with a real nice sedative. Well, there's no one living to stand in her way as she searches for the manager, Dolores Michaels. Within Dolores' office are images of the twin-bladed knife and the eye of the dead god. You see, Dolores Michaels is a head figure of the Eyeless and the safekeeper of the twin-bladed knife at the order of the cult of the outsider. If Billy was to confront Dolores, not only would she find someone capable in combat, but also someone who recognizes Billy's eye as a piece of the void. But thankfully, Dolores is unconscious. Within the massive safe in Dolores' office is her journal and several silver graphs of a place that Billy does not recognize, though one is labeled Shindari Peak. The name Cienfuegos has come up several times in Billy's journey. She knows that for some reason this person was assassinated and now she knows why. These three figureheads of the Eyeless carried out an assassination and bleeding of the well-known pharmacist, Eleutero Cienfuegos. Cienfuegos was a member of the Eyeless who betrayed them by stealing some mysterious documents and sending them to Brianna Ashworth at the Royal Conservatory. This must be investigated by Billy Lurk. What were those documents? 
The twin bladed knife is not here, of course. It's deeper within the guts of the building, past several layers of automated and robotic security. When finally, finally, Billy makes it to the bank center, when she finally finds the twin bladed knife, he shows up. And while you might expect the outsider to interfere here before Billy has even taken control of the blade, he doesn't. He shares a small bit about his history with the blade and actually gives Billy a hint as to another outcome. The outsider knows what's to come, what Billy will do, the finale of her plan as the course proceeds on now. He knows that Dowd has died on the deck of the dreadful whale alone. And he asks Billy what will change in the end. When all is said and done, what will she have left behind? With the blade now in her possession, Billy rushes back to the dreadful whale. Rather than linger on the dreadful whale and mourn like one might expect, Billy sets the dreadful whale aflame as a funeral pyre for Dowd and moves on with the mission that he gave her, vowing to hold true to her word and carry out the fall of the outsider. And that is that. Cienfuegos sent Brianna Ashworth documents from the Eyeless that were important enough to be noticed and for his death to result from it. Ashworth has long since been removed from her position by either Corvo or Emily, but all that matters are those documents. Off to the Royal Conservatory now for our lone Billy Lurk. There, overseers are burning anything deemed heretical. They are crawling all over the place. The witches that once walked these halls have been captured. Remember, with the destruction of the Oraculum and the fall of Delilah, these women no longer had power. They couldn't pull off their magics. And when the overseers swooped in, it was a violent affair. They began to perform therapies on the women, torturing them for information and confessions, subjecting them to the maddening melody of the overseer's music box. It's a man named Alvaro Cardoza who leads in this madness, carrying out twisted autopsies of the women that they've tortured to death. It's imposing evil on the wicked. The oracular sisters are here too, women who work alongside the Abbey of the Everyman, issuing them prophecies and orders that guide the Abbey a very respected coven of women, now led by Lena Rosewin. Billy Lurk steals the face of Vice Overseer Alvaro Cardoza and using this void disguise, tricks Rosewin into giving her just what she's been looking for, a silver graph, a map, to the Shindari North Quarry. Now what could be up there? Billy has no idea. The mountain should be empty. There shouldn't be anything on that peak. Billy Lurk, climbs the mountain, finds the abandoned quarry and the people walking it, the actual cult of the outsider. Not some gang or ragtag collection of fanatics, but the real thing. The outsider makes one last visit to Billy here, explaining the nature of the void leaking into reality here. The space between the two realms is exceptionally weak, telling her small parts of his own story and how he came to be, the people he once knew before the void changed them. And before he departs, he asks Billy if she could find his name. Not as a request, just a casual mention of possibilities. His name was torn away from him by the twin-bladed knife. But what if Billy could find it? She can carry out Dowd's wishes and kill him, but what if there was another way? She needs to acknowledge the weight of her choices and see beyond loyalty and revenge. The cultists here are something apart from anything that Billy has seen before. Some of them are partially fused with stone, in the process of ascending into becoming the envisioned, that walk between realities and guard the gate to ritual hold. There's no 
worldliness or emotion allowed amongst them. Death comes swiftly to those who fail in this. Statues and images warp in and out of reality here. There are rats everywhere. All things used by the miners and workers of the quarry were abandoned in their place. The Cult of the Outsider has a well-stocked library and records area. Just beyond is the excavation area of the Eye of the Dead God. Billy feels like it's watching her. It hurts her eye to look at it and touching it. It opens her eyes into the void. It's all around in this place. She can walk right into it and see into everything, like looking under the waves and into the sea. Within the void nearby, there's a body, a man named Malchiote with a key on his corpse. This takes Billy to a locked off area within the quarry, where inside is a cipher and the mark of the outsider upon stone. The dead man Malchiote was particularly obsessed with it. He discovered that the mark of the outsider itself was the outsider's name, an ancient word that translated into sounds long lost to time, a language not meant to be read by the living or spoken by a living tongue. The gate that Billy seeks is not far away. The way into the ritual hold, where the outsider's living body is cast in stone. He's here. I can feel it. Between the fracture of the great pillar is the resting place of the outsider. A familiar voice can be heard here. A familiar outline sits and despairs near the outsider's body. It's Dowd. There are other spirits here as well, captured in moments of regret and pain. The outsider isn't some grand horrific being that Billy needs to fight. It's a young man captured within the void. A look of pain sealed on his face. He is completely at the mercy of Billy Lurk. And the void god that we've come to know doesn't intervene. He doesn't appear. He doesn't try to sway or manipulate what Billy does. The choice is completely up to her, as though the outsider welcomes her judgment. Billy Lurk can easily slide the twin-bladed knife into the chest of the outsider, thus ending his time as a deity of the void. Though remember, the void existed infinitely before the outsider. Other gods came before him. This is simply the end of his chapter, not the void itself. Is the outsider really deserving of the blame for the choices of those who bear his mark? Is he really to blame for what people do in his name? What if Billy slows down, rewinds, and instead speaks with her now dead friend Dowd? What if they extend forgiveness and understanding to the outsider, like Dowd did for Billy 15 years ago in her betrayal of Dowd to Delilah? The outsider's name, his mark, it can only be read by the dead. So to honor Billy's request, to instead save the outsider from this warpath of Dowd, he approaches the outsider's body and whispers his name into his ear. It's such a simple thing, the whisper of a name and a merciful hand. The outsider is released from his prison to draw breath once more. It's been 4,000 years since he's done so. Now he must rejoin the world as a mortal being to carry out a life that was taken from him so long ago. The world will change in his absence in ways unknowable. In his time, the outsider chose who would and would not be touched by the void and its magics. Now with his departure, one way or another, 
there will be no one to decide who receives that touch. But only time will tell if the mercy of Billy Lurk will be an atonement or a sin.